to see you uh, in the house of God with the Psalms 127, the book of Psalms 127. It's no mystery. Uh, most of you know I'm going to be preaching a sermon uh, for Father's Day, but I've also given it a flavor uh, to parenting. And my prayer is that this message would help you uh, just some thoughts that I've put together that I felt God impress upon my heart this week. I want to read a story as we begin, and, and as we do that, I want your attention. And I'll go ahead and tell you that as I read this story, I'm not going to finish it in the beginning. In fact, I'm going to be continuing this story at the end of the sermon. So your attention right here will help you understand the ending of the story that I'm going to read to you. So during World War II, or during the course of World War II, uh, many people gained some form of fame. Uh, one of the men who, came, who claimed fame during that time was a man by the name of Butch O'Hare. Or O'Hara. He was a fighter pilot assigned to an aircraft carrier in the Pacific. One time, his entire squadron was assigned to fly a particular mission. So after he was airborne, he looked at his fuel gauge, or gauge and realized that someone had forgotten to top off his fuel tank. Because of this, he would not have enough fuel to complete his mission and get back to his ship. His flight leader told him to leave formation and return to the ship. But as he was returning, he could see a squadron of Japanese Zeros heading towards the fleet to attack. And with all the fighter planes gone, the fleet was almost defenseless. So in other words, the Japanese had come in, there were ships below on sea, and he saw that there were no fighter pilots around, and so he said, he, he's... His was the only opportunity right here to distract and to divert the Japanese. So what Butch did, single-handedly, he dove into formation of the Japanese planes and attacked them. The American fighter planes were rigged with cameras so that as they flew and fought, pictures were taken so pilots could learn more about the terrain, enemy maneuvers. Butch then dove at them shot until all his ammunition was gone. Then he would dive and try to clip off a wing or tail or anything that would make the enemy plane unfit to fly. He did anything he could to keep them from reaching the ships. Finally, the Japanese squadron took off in another direction and Butch O'Hara and his fighter, both badly shot up, limped back to the carrier he told his story, but not until the film from the camera on his plane was developed did they realize the extent he really went on to protect his fleet. He was recognized as a hero and given one of the nation's highest military honors. As you know, the O'Hara Airport was also named after him, Chicago O'Hara. Airport was named after Butch O'Hara. So here we have a story of a man. We know that this man was a fighter. We know this man was the person who claimed fame for something that he accomplished. 
when most people at an empty fuel tank would have said, let me just go down, get refueled. If I can make it back up and fight for my country or fight for my, for my uh, uh, fellow men, I'll do it. But he chose to stay on air and fight. And that's the story of Butch O'Hara. Children this morning are treasures that have been entrusted to us by God. As parents, we only have them for a season in life. As far as I'm concerned, Jeremy is turning 11 this year. Probably another 7-8 years of his life will I only have impact or influence over him to the degree that he's at right now. But as they grow older, the question is, how do we transit from one season to another? Because that really matters. Psalms 127 verses 3 to 5, I want to preach a sermon I've called The Privilege of Parenting this morning. The Privilege of Parenting out of Psalms 127 verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking you to anoint every parent, O God, this morning as they raise their children, O God, and as they begin to teach them your ways. Give them the strength, the wisdom. Teach them, O God, to do what you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So from this passage, we are being affirmed that our responsibility as a parent goes beyond the monetary. Firstly, the Bible says to us, they are a heritage from the Lord. In other words, I don't own them. They came from God. He is the owner. God owns all of our children. Amen. Amen. <laughs> we are just stewards. We're just responsible for them. In that season of their life, while they are here on earth, the advisors, the counsel and all of that, they come to us, we seek God for them, but in, in, in essence, they belong to God, they have been entrusted to us, and this should be, or this should influence us in the way we parent and the way we raise our children. In other words, this morning, you and I are answerable and responsible to God, for our action towards our children and how we do what we do to them and how we teach them but at the same time as responsible and as answerable as we are to God we are also reliant and surrendered to God the owner who is the only one who can transform them how many know you cannot change a person you don't have the power to change them. The only one who has the power to do that is God. And the sooner we come to that realization, the sooner we come to the place and say, I am responsible for some degree 
and to some degree of their life, but beyond that, the choices and the decisions they make is between them and God. And you have to learn, beloved, that you cannot parent a 40-year-old. Amen. You cannot parent and once they go beyond a certain age, this is what is so fascinating about growing up and maturing. They begin to learn lessons in life. But what we see in this passage is every child this morning is an inheritance from God. It's a reward. In other words, it isn't a burden. My child isn't a burden. It is not a penalty that God has begun to inflict pain on us, the trouble and the burdens that he's causing but beloved the truth is every child is a favor from god the bible says in this passage so are the children of one's youth happy is the man who has a quiver full of them the fruit of the womb is a reward in verses 3 in other words, to bear a child, to have a child, to have a child that is called your child is a reward that God has bestowed upon us. It is a favor of God and we must be grateful that God, you would entrust me with a child. So why, are, why do God give us children? For the sake of time, God uses children to teach you, mold you, and shape you. <laughs> How many know when you have children, you learn patience? When you have children, you learn to become perseverant. When you have children, you start thinking about the future. This week, I, uh, you know, we, we sat down with, with our, uh, been putting it off for a long time. We've been so busy with all, everything going on. But, you know, I was talking to our insurance agent this week, and one of the things that happened is that when we took our insurance a few years ago, we were so concerned about only one direction about our medical card or our medical facility, whatever it could be. But as time goes on, now I'm thinking, you know what? I'm paying for my medical premiums, but I'm not getting any cash back in return eventually. So I want to protect my life in, as a term. If I die, my children, my wife, or, you know, would get some kind. Of, so, you know, as I'm talking to him, I'm saying, take that out. I don't want that. Remove that. I don't want that. I don't want this. I don't want... And so he's playing with all... But what has changed... As you grow older, your priorities changes. You start thinking about your children's future. You start thinking about your future. You start thinking differently. But that comes when God gives us children. I made, I made a statement. Let me give it to you right here. Parenting is a test of fate. Amen. I'm telling you, beloved, it is a test of faith. Uh, um, if there's anything I can accredit, accredit my parenting today and what I've, what I've learned through the years, I can tell you there are people in this church who have been influential in how we have been uh, raising our own children. We look, we learn. We don't know everything. 
We need to learn from people who have gone before us and, and the likes of our sister Angelina, sister Fanny, through the years, and, and, and uh, yeah, I'm not putting you on the spot, guys, but, but just through the years, you don't know how many times we look to them and look at how they've made decisions. And that's helped us. Because we've said, you know what? No, decisions, what kind of choices they're making has helped us. When we came to this church, we, most of you know, I was 21 years old. No child. How do you raise a child? All we knew was adikutu water, you know, that means kickbox and slap. <laughs> That's the Tamil term for the, you know, for the, for the disciplined part of the child, you know. But that was it. I mean, but we learned. As our children grew, they were not here by accident. God put them here for a reason. And we saw, we watched, we looked, and we learned. So parenting is a process. It's a learning process. It's a learning curve. No one has perfected it. If you perfected it, come preach here. All of us are learning. It's a test. But the challenge today is that we must not view them as a burden. We must not view our children as a liability. We carry upon our shoulders a great responsibility, church. And may we be biblical in raising our children for God. So the question then is, are we being spiritually responsible parents? Have we viewed our children the same way God views them? Someone made this profound statement. They said the number one thing you can do for your kids is help them make their faith the number one thing in their lives. Can I make that statement again? The number one thing that you can do for your kids is help them make their faith the number one thing in their lives. So let's talk secondly, because spiritually influencing our children is one of the most significant impacts you can leave on them. Spiritual influence this morning. I was reading the story of four preachers. They were sitting down over a cup of tea and they were talking and so they asked the question, uh, which was the favourite Bible translation uh, amongst all four of them? So you know you've got a new Living Translation, you've got a new King James Version, you've got a new International. So the cu curiosity, so one of the preachers said he prefers the King James Version because of its eloquent English. The other one said he preferred the New American Standard because it was more literal translation from Hebrew and Greek. The third expressed his appreciation for the New Living Translation since it reads more easily. The fourth sat quietly for the moment, for a moment. And eventually he spoke up, he said pensively, and then he began to say that he preferred his mother's translation by far. Not New King James, not New Living Translation, not New International, but my mother's translation is my favourite version, he said. And so the others were a bit curious. They asked him, um, clarify yourself. And so he explained, my mother translated the Bible into life. And it was the most convincing translation that I ever saw. Your life matters 
to your children. You know, many of us know the story Pastor Campbell would tell you years. You've heard Pastor Campbell preach. He's 80 years old this year. He was just down with us this year. But for the most part, you know, sometimes it, it's a wonder, God, why? He, he's, you know, with all that's going on in his family, the dynamics, the impact he's making, but some of his children have just backslid. Grandchildren backslid. You see, you can't control that, can't you? I'm not saying that to put someone down. I'm saying that to help you understand that you cannot control the decisions they make. But you can influence the decisions they will make one day because of who you are today. So let's talk about this as we bring this down. See, no matter how young or how old our children may be, your consistency, your faithfulness, your commitment to God will influence and impact them greatly. Whether you know it or you don't, whether you see it or you don't, there's a spiritual transaction that happens that every day when you wake up to pray, every day when you spend time reading the Word, every time you choose to do right with your money, every time you choose to do right in your finances, in your business, in your marriage, every time you choose to honour God with the decisions you make, whether you like it or don't, whether they see it or or they don't, there is a spiritual transaction that gets released and it influences them. You better believe it that no matter how far or how near you are to your children, the decisions you make goes beyond the umbilical cord. As a mother, you may think, do I, do I make it? Absolutely, because you're not influencing your children by human ability. You're influencing them through a God who sees your faithfulness and He will touch them on your behalf. That's how an influence works. That means you may not see it, you may not experience it, you may not encounter it, but God will use your influence. So this is why faithfulness is so vital. This is why your commitment is so vital. This is why your consistency is so vital. Because it affects and influences your children. And God takes note of that. Scripture says they are like arrows in verses 4 in the hand of a warrior. There is something powerful when a parent begins to direct the children in the way they should go. In Proverbs 16.9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. Do you plan for your children to succeed in the things of God? Do you avail your children for the use of God's kingdom? Do you, do, you, do you position them? Do you plan and say, listen, we have to pray. We have to spend time reading the Word. We have to plan these things. Everything we do should revolve around God as the center of it all. Do you do that? Because as you plan according to God's ways, God steps in and He directs their path. This is a promise, church. You know, I was reading a book not long ago. Some of you may have read it, Shoe Dog. Has anyone read Shoe Dog? Uh, 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 Nike, the, the founder of Nike, Phil Knight. Uh, 
uh, and the man who is behind the brand, he was ex- extremely, extremely uh, successful in his career. Most of you know the brand today and the success he's accomplished. But in the process of all this, uh, Phil Knight, you know, was, had a lot of ups and downs. Nothing was smooth for this man. I mean, you read his story. I got halfway through the book. I told, I told my wife, I said, the amount of perseverance, he would take a flight to Japan and fly back and, you know, get this and get that. And then it would fail. It was, people would sue him. I mean, someone, you know, would have just given up and said, forget it. Reading his story itself, I felt depressed. But you see, that's the key to success, right? You heard me say on Tuesday night, there are no victories without battles. If there are no battles, there are no victories. Battles produces the victories of life. So, but what is sad, he lost in one of the greatest parts of his life. Successful man. But his son Matthew took his own life. He committed suicide. And the reason he said was because, if you read the book, every time he would come home, the son would ask, where's daddy? Where's daddy? Daddy was frequently not around. And so he hated his dad because somehow, dad was always absent. This is a principle, church. And I know with the demands we are with today, the work, the load, and all the, we may have to travel. And I understand that as pastors, sometimes, you know, some of our evangelists are gone for three weeks in a month. Do you know that? Our evangelist, he, he sits around here. <laughs> Technically, <laughs> three weeks in a month, they're supposed to be gone, obviously with COVID and all that. But what I'm trying to say is, Three weeks in a month, they're mostly gone. And now the fellowship is realizing that's too much. Because they are away from their home for three weeks in a month. And the wife is raising the children and so on. It's a dynamic. And so they want us to, they, they want the evangelists to learn to balance their time, find some balance, spend more time with the children and so on and so forth. But you know what Matthew said? This is what caught me. One day when the father came home, he was so furious, he told his dad, I will never, ever wear a Nike in my whole life. He never did. He hated the brand the father built. He never wore Nikes ever. He hated it. See, the very thing you succeed in can become the very thing that your children despise. Can I say that again? You know, this is true even with pastors, ministry. So busy building church, building church, no time for the children. So three things I leave with you and I close right here. I want to encourage every dad here to do these three things. Number one, pray for your children every day. Psalms or Luke chapter 8, 41 to 42. Luke chapter 8, 41 to 42. In this passage as we read it, it 
And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet, begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age. She was dying. But as he went, listen, as he went, the father, the multitude stronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years... Uh, uh, I'm going to stop in verses 42, sorry. But, but as this man made progress towards Jesus, he seeked Jesus for his daughter. He was desperate to Jesus for his daughter. He saw his daughter's plight. He saw her condition. He saw the situation the daughter was struggling with. And what he did was he began to run to her, to him, and seeked. He begged him, come to my house. Come, my daughter needs you. You know, as a father... One of the greatest things you can ever do. I cannot change my children. Listen, when my son gets to 18, when my daughter gets it, I don't know the decisions they'll make. Who am I to determine? Who am I to dictate? But I know one thing for sure, that I have to pray for my children until the day I die. That it is my responsibility, my duty to uplift my children. And pray for them. It is my duty as a father to bring my children before Jesus. Jesus, you see them for who they are. They need you, but they don't see it, God. Touch my daughter, touch my son. So pray for your children every day. Amen. Amen. Every day, God hears your prayer as a father. If God wasn't interested in the Father, He would have just said, hey, just get back to where you came from. What is done is done. Your daughter's going, she's gone. There's nothing left to it. No, but He raised a dead child. He did a miracle. You may look at your situation. You may look at your circumstance. You may look at your child. You may look at your family. You may look at your parents and say, oh, it's, there's no hope. Let me tell you, in Jesus, everyone has hope. But as a father, it is my response. Remember, I told you just now, I must do my part. Responsibilities, my action, and then surrender to God. But many times, what we do, we surrender without doing our part. The second thing that I leave with you and I challenge you as a father to do is to lead by example. Ephesians 6 verses 4, As you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You see, this cannot be emphasized enough this morning as parents, as dads, from a father to another father this morning, I speak to you. God has given us the opportunity to influence our children. 
And as I said, we're finding out a lot of things. Today, the world is, you know, for the lack of a better word, they say the world is a smaller place. And there are times we have to travel, we have to go, we have around, you know, for the benefit of the family and for the sake of their well-being and their future and so on and so forth. God knows that. God understands that. But, you know, they always say, beloved, that in the process of doing all of that, let us not fail to lead by example. This cannot be emphasized enough. When I'm away, my children know there are things that I don't do. I'll just tell you straight up, even as my church, as a church, I never go to a hotel room. I'll never switch on the TV. Never. <laughs> just my conviction. I'm not telling you to follow me. <laughs> but when I'm alone, I spend a lot of time praying. Sometimes people think, oh, you, you like to go. No, I love to be home. I'm a homeboy. <laughs> I think all of us would agree We love to be with our families We love to be at home Sometimes if I do have to travel And when I do have to go out do I do have to go and preach I'm alone in the room I'll never switch on the TV I'll hardly use the internet This is just my conviction I spend a lot of time praying I spend a lot of time laying hold of God And I spend a lot of time fellowshipping with the pastors so it's not a bait of roses. When I, when I go with the kids and the family, when we're on holiday, oh, they watch a lot of TV. <laughs> then we do. Then we do. We watch cartoons. We watch movies. We, we have a good time. But I make up my mind that there are decisions I make. I lead by example. Teaching my children, be selective on what you watch. Be careful with what you look at. These decisions that we make, and you don't, I'm not saying that anybody has to follow what I do. That's not my point. I'm just sharing with you the decisions I've made up my mind to do. Because I realize by doing what is right, by making godly decisions, will our children have a legacy that would bless them. As a husband, how you treat your wife matters. Do you show her respect? Do you give her dignity in front of your children? Do you condemn her? Do you put her down? Do you put her as a doormat? Do you, or do you show her that respect, uh, respect and reverence? Do you show her, the, to give her the dignity that she deserves? You're not going to talk to your mother like that. I've confronted my son. I've confronted my daughter. You're not going to talk to them, to my wife like that. You're not going to speak that way. Many of you know, even as a pastor, I'm very protective in many ways. If I hear that someone says something to a woman, especially in the church, I would confront it, many of you know, because you don't speak to a woman and you have respect for her. Just because they, are a, they, are, they may be weaker doesn't mean we dishonor them. Our children watch us. And then when they get married, they treat their wives the same way. Very quiet this morning. C.H. Spurgeon made this statement, beloved, as we close. A man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. In his life and doc if his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. 
So what was C.H. Spurgeon saying? Your words mean nothing if your action doesn't carry exampleship. You can tell your children anything you want, but if you are doing what you're telling them not to do, it means nothing. That's what C.H. Spurgeon is saying. So what they will take into account is not what you say, but what you do. So I can stand here to preach and say, let's pray. But if I'm not praying, it means nothing. I can stand here and tell you, let's give. But if I'm not giving, it means nothing. This is one of the dynamics a lot of pastors struggle with. They challenge the church to do something, but they themselves don't practice what they preach. And they wonder why people don't catch on to it because they don't do what they say they do. So your words only mean like pennies according to what C.H. Spurgeon says, but your deeds are as valuable as dollars. Remember that always. Moms, dads, remember that. The third thing as a father you can do and you should do finally is bring correction and discipline. You know, your children would listen to you fathers if you would simply take time to speak into their lives and say, no, you shouldn't be doing that. That's why as a pastor, sometimes I play that role uh, maybe as a fatherly figure to some people. I'm not old. I, I just turned 34 last week. <laughs> so I'm still young. But, but you know, you, you, you have young people now you know, young men that come up to you and say, Pastor, how do I make these decisions? What should I do? Pastor, I need help in this. I, I sometimes I get text messages in a day, numbers of questions, and, and, and they ask you a question after question, and I love it because they are learning. But you see, as a church, I make myself available for that. I'm not, beloved, it's not like you have to go through a secretary then a pre-secretary, and then another secretary to get to me. You have my number, it's public, it's everywhere. Call me, 016-236-9600. It's open, nothing to hide. It's available, why? Because the influence, the example, the correction, and sometimes I have access to speak into these young men's life, speak into these young women, Correct, bring direction, tell them what's right, what's wrong. The Bible says in Proverbs 3 verses 12, Whom the Lord loves, He corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom He delights. You see, our role as leaders in our home, beloved, as I close right here, cannot and mustn't be taken for granted. We have to bring correction whenever we see when our children may be going a little bit wavered. Say, listen, I cannot stop you from the decisions you want to make. But as a concerned father, as a concerned parent, I want you to know that this is something that you should be reconsidering. Do not make those decisions. God will honour you for that. God will bless you for that. Don't be afraid to bring that correction. Oh, but pastor, what if they walk away? What if they turn? Beloved, I tell you, in all my years, in all my years of hearing stories upon stories, it is when correction and discipline takes place that the child is more impacted mentally to one day make a right decision to come back to God than to say, let's not rock the boat.
Let's not bring too many correction. Let's not bring discipline. But it is always in that dynamic that you find that a child can be salvaged. So three things I leave with you and I close right here. Pray for your children every day. Lead them by example. Be an example. Be a godly parent. Pray. Put faith in them. Teach them the importance of the house of God. Teach them the importance of having a man of God over their life. Teach them to have respect and honor for headship and authority. When they learn that, don't go home bad mouth about people in church. It will destroy your children. Because what will happen is one day I've pastored long enough. I've been a disciple. Of, you know what they come up, they come to? They say, I don't want to ever go back to church because it's full of hypocrites. Because we talk about negative things at home. I close with this story. So prior to this time in Chicago, there was a man who was a lawyer. His name was Easy Eddie. Easy Eddie worked for one of the most prolific big-time gangsters in Chicago. And some of you may know this man. Maybe you had tea with him. No, I'm joking. Al Capone. Al Capone was an extremely notorious gangster in the 1800s to the early 1900s. He's dead and gone, by the way. Uh, uh, but he wasn't known for anything heroic. He was a notorious uh, murderer. He's committed many illegal things during his lifetime. So Easy Eddie was Al Capone's lawyer, and he was very good. And so Easy Eddie, in fact, because of his skills, he was able to keep Al Capone out of trouble for the longest time. Al Capone went under the radar for the longest time. No one knew who was committing these murders. No one knew what was really happening. Al Capone was able to cover himself up because he had a fantastic advocate, a lawyer, Easy Eddie. So Al Capone, in view of this, he paid him very well. He not only earned big money, but he would give Easy Eddie a lot of extra things. He would give him a residence with the, like, you know, a residence as huge as the entire city block in Chicago. The house that Easy Eddie lived in, that Al Capone gave him, was fenced. He lived with helpers at home. And to the convenience, anything that Easy Eddie wanted, Al Capone supplied. And so Easy Eddie had a son. He loved his son, gave him all the best things while he was growing up. Give him clothes, cars, education. And because he loved his son, he tried to teach him right from wrong. But one thing that Easy Eddie couldn't give his son was a good name, a good example. Easy Eddie decided eventually that this was more important than the clothes, the cars, the properties he could give his son. He wanted to give him a good name. So what Easy Eddie did is he did what most parents should do. They turned El Capone, he turned El Capone in to the authorities. He went to the authorities and he just spilled the beans. He told the authorities this is what El Capone had done and he exposed him and uh, he would do all and explain everything. But most of all, he knew that by doing this, he would get killed. Easy Eddie knew he would die for exposing his boss.
but he wanted most of all one thing, to be an example and to do the best he could do for his son. Give him a good name. So he testified, within one year, Easy Eddie was shot dead on the lonely streets in Chicago. You see, you may listen to the first story and then listen to this tonight and somehow think they're unrelated. But Butch O'Hara was Easy Eddie's son. The man who fought in World War II and flew that plane, protected his military squad, was actually Easy Eddie's son. The man who said, my exampleship, my legacy matters more than money, clothing, wealth, possession, property. And I want to leave my son with that. And imagine the hero he became because of a father who wanted to leave behind an example. Isaiah 59, 12, the Bible says, 59, 21, give me a second. I was reading this this week and God stirred me to put this in. I just want to leave you with a promise here. 21, Isaiah 59, 21. Boys, if you can put that up as well. I added this in later on. As for me, says the Lord. Listen, listen, this is a promise for every parent. Every parent here, this is your promise. God spoke to me this week. This is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord from this time and forevermore. What you do for God will never, ever be in vain. God will use it to lead your children back to Him. I want you to bow your heads with me. As we close this morning, we're going to pray for every dad in this place in a few minutes. But as I've said three things that every parent can do, every father can do. Pray for your children every day. Spend time with God. Bring them before God. Lead your children by example. No matter how young or how old they are, your faithfulness to God's house, your commitment to God releases something spiritual. Spiritual. 